Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Dane Baker, CEO and co-founder of EcoCart, a sustainable commerce platform that's raised 17.5 million in funding. Dane, thanks for chatting with me today. Brett, excited to be here. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe a bit more about your background? Yeah, happy to. So let's see, I'm a multi-time founder. I have started a couple of companies that have all had a similar thread of trying to make the world a better place in some way, shape or form. And the last company that I started was an online peer-to-peer rental marketplace business. So think like Airbnb, but for surfboards, kayaks, snowboards, et cetera. And started that business, the general hypothesis was that, you know, we could limit consumption in the world by amplifying the sharing economy, especially with high plastic items. And that would be better for the world around us. And as we scaled, however, it became very difficult and quite expensive to maintain that sustainability ethos as a company. We tried everything. We tried to buy offsets, hire consultants. It was very complicated and it was very expensive. So we realized there had to be a better way. And we sold Toy Room was the name of the company and, and started EcoCard based off of this idea. And it takes us to today where, you know, where our mission at EcoCard is to make the fight against climate change easy, affordable, and accessible so that everyone can do their part. And where did that drive come from for you to want to make the world a cleaner place? Yeah. So it's kind of two things. One is I've always loved entrepreneurship. And because I've always thought about it as the work that I'm doing as an entrepreneur is amplified. It's magnified by way of the people that join our mission or, you know, just like the ability to scale quickly, right? There's just so much potential for like an amplification of whatever you're working on, right? And so like that coupled with the idea that if that is the case, you might as well be doing something you care about that you feel really, really good about. And that's where, you know, kind of trying to make the world a better place comes into play. And so, you know, again, all of the businesses that I've built in the past have all had that general thread, right? And they haven't always been specifically sustainability companies, but the last two certainly have had that ethos as part of the business. And, you know, it's been an amazing thing, honestly, to be able to wake up every day and work towards a personal mission of mine. And it makes things, you know, because times get tough, it helps really to push through. Were you happy with the exit of Toy Room? You know, yeah. I mean, it was was an incredible learning experience. It was something that we were able to take all of the learnings from building that business, all the fortitude and just need to run through walls and take it directly into building this business. So it was certainly worthwhile. Did you start EcoCar with a chip on your shoulder because of the last company not maybe getting as big and massive as you wanted it? And the only reason I'd ask that is because I've had a lot of other founders who've had similar experiences where you know they start a company, they end up selling it a couple of years later, but they say like they had you know this big vision, it didn't get fulfilled. And they go and launch their new company and they have a chip on their shoulder and they're you know, very fired up to make this the big company. Was that the dynamic for you? Yeah, it certainly could have played a part. Yeah, I think chips on shoulders like drive right people in different ways, right? 
And you know, maybe I have a little bit of that internally. But I think in general, you know, when you're working on something so meaningful, it's hard not to be incredibly driven towards that goal. A few other questions we'd like to ask, and the goal here is really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one, what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? I might say Sir Richard Branson. And I think the reason for that is he's sort of he's a unique individual that's just very much in a class of his own, right? Like you look at, you know, sort of traditional multi-time, multi-home run founders. And, you know, it's rare to find someone like Richard Branson because he just, he leads with his heart. He's, you know, an incredibly emotive individual, whereas like, you know, in stark contrast to someone like Elon, who's just incredibly cerebral, you know, someone like Richard Branson has built an empire based off of making people feel a certain way about experiencing his businesses in whatever vehicle or medium that might come. But they've all had that experiential make people feel something tint to it that has made virgin what it is. And it's also really rare to have such consistency in that from business to business. And so it's just, it's incredibly inspiring because he just clearly lives that. And it's just so important to him in, in, his, in his playbook, right? And then you couple that with his personality type, the type of person that he is. He's fun-loving, he's lighthearted, He's also, again, emotive and cares about people and things and stands for important topics. And it's just, he just, yeah, overall, he's just a very inspirational individual to me. Yeah. What I really like about him is it's very clear that he's having fun. You know, when you watch interviews of him and like, that's not just like recent, you know, like the retired guy, this is, you know, if you go back even like 30 years or 40 years, like he had the same mindset. He was always having fun. And I think if you look at like Zuckerberg or Musk or any of these guys, like, you don't look at their interviews and think, wow, that guy has a fun life. He's really just enjoying this. Like they seem like they're, you know, getting something out of it, obviously, but they, I wouldn't say that it's, you know, fun by any means. Right. I think, yeah. And that's incredibly important, right? Because life is multifaceted. Life is, you know, comprehensive. It's not just one thing. And he brings a human element to the work that he does. Yeah, totally agree. What about books? And the way we like to frame this, we got this from Ryan Holiday. He calls them quake books. So a quake book is a book that like rocks you to your core. It really influences how you think about the world and how you approach life. Do any quake books come to mind? Ooh, good one. Yeah, a lot have influenced me in different ways. I think, you know, now that we're in the kind of phase that we're in as a business, a book that is currently resonating for the phase that we're in and, you know, that's relevant to me is, um, it's a book called Amp It Up by Frank Slootman, who is the CEO of Snowflake. And it just talks about how to scale, right? It's very much not for, you know, there are certain books for like different phases, right? Like the Lean Startup, right? That's for super early zero to one phase. But Amp It Up, you know, it's just relevant for where we are right now, which is in the scale phase. And so it has some really incredible lessons as a CEO of a Series A phase company right now. Yeah, I recently read Amp It Up as well. And I think what's most interesting about that book to me, at least, is the fact that it's, you know, an operator who's operating this big, massive company today and he's writing it you know, as he's an operator. I feel like a lot of those books that's, you know, kind of 20 years out or 10 years out, reflecting on the journey, but it's not someone who's, you know, in the day-to-day. And Frank is very much in the day-to-day at Snowflake. So it's a, a pretty fascinating perspective, I think, just to read it from. I completely agree with you. 
Now let's switch gears and let's dive deeper into the company. So let's just start with the problem. I think for you, the problem is probably a little bit easier to articulate than when we bring someone on who's selling you know, dev tools or cybersecurity tools. But let's start there. What is the problem that you're solving? Yeah, the problem that we're solving is for businesses, it's incredibly complicated and expensive to take steps towards operating sustainably. If there's any interest for the company to operate sustainably, and there's a lot of reasons to do so, there's not an easy way to do it, right? So we are simplifying that process. We're making that just relevant for business growth, which is directly aligned with all companies and can be relevant for all companies. And really that's the value for right? For our customers, which are e-commerce retailers and brands, it is helping them tell their sustainability story in a way that drives customer loyalty and love. And to visualize what that looks like, let's just imagine that, yeah, I'm an e-commerce brand. I come to you and say, Dane, I'm, you know, I'm serious about sustainability. I want to get more into it. Yeah, what do we do? How do we work with you? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of two parts to that, right? One is from a partnership perspective, we want to understand all of your sustainability goals and create a path for you to accomplish those. And that's, that's sort of the partnership side, right? The other is the product and the integration and the sort of details, the operational details. And that is something that we have packaged in a way that's incredibly straightforward for our partners. We have a Shopify app and an API that plug directly into the tech stack of the partner we're talking with and who wants to take steps towards operating sustainably. And with that integration, it becomes you know quite straightforward and simple and it can be done in, inside of a week. And so yeah, that's really important to us is how can we make the process as seamless as possible so that our, our partners can start to see the value. In terms of those calculations, how complex is it and how far up the supply chain does that go? Does that go to you know, like the, the parts being created and then they're being shipped to a factory and then they're being assembled? Like how far up does that go? Yeah. So our scope of what we're calculating is both manufacturing emissions and shipping emissions. And in some cases, you know, it's possible that we are also calculating and offsetting the entirety of the emissions from cradle to grave. And some of our partners ask us to do this. So it's very dependent on the partnership, but as a standard, as I mentioned, it's, you know, the manufacturing emissions and the shipping emissions. And it's also something we tailor to the partnership. So that's how we approach that problem. And is it ever hard to get that data if it's, you know, coming out of let's say like China or India or somewhere where, you know, they're doing mass manufacturing. I had some companies on that, you know, talk about some of those problems of like getting that type of visibility. Do you ever have that? Yeah, it, it certainly is a problem, right? It certainly is a challenge. You know, we have to take into account many different factors when we're estimating the emissions of that order, right? And so we have kind of an approach where we understand the sort of base level emissions and kind of what we call like a base case. And then there are all different types of adjustments that could be made to that base case assumption. And that's sort of how we strike the balance between doing this on a one-by-one -one basis and being able to do this at scale. And so that's kind of key to our specific process is we're, we're able to strike that balance quite well. And just so we can visualize this from a consumer perspective, what does it look like from a consumer perspective? So let's say I go on the e-commerce brand's website, I you know, select items, put in the cart. When do I start to see EcoCart? Yeah, so we have a what we call like a suite of features that merchants can actually decorate their shopping experience with. So 
I'd say the ideal state would be as a shopper arrives at a website, they first on the homepage, see some messaging about that brand sustainability initiatives. And they start to you know internalize that. They then continue on their shopping journey, go onto the inventory page. They start to look at all the, what they sell and they click into a product. They look at the product detail page and there they see further information about that specific product, maybe some information about the emissions or the materials. And we can again, help craft this, this message and, and process. And then they go to their checkout page where they then are able to take action after having been primed with a few different touch points describing that brand sustainability initiatives, the consumer then at the point of sale is able to take climate action. And during that experience and with their sort of checkout checkbox, they are able to then see all the information about the specific project that the brand has selected and the certifications and information and details behind that project, as well as how we have gone about estimating the, that emissions or sorry, that orders carbon emissions. And so with all that, we've created a really, you know, optimal user experience or consumer experience as they're going through and, and shopping during their normal day-to-day lives. And what's the impact look like from a brand perspective? If we're looking at money, what's the financial impact? If they you know, are using EcoCart, what types of like impact are they seeing in terms of like checkout or cart abandonment, different things like that? Yeah, of course. So the kind of value prop for our brands really is and kind of the reason why we have so much demand. I mean, we've gone from zero brands when we launched to over 2000 in just a matter of four years, maybe even a little bit less than four years. And so we and we actually, we believe what we're building is becoming ubiquitous and standard in the e-commerce landscape. And that in five years from now, looking forward, you and I as consumers won't be able to go through a checkout experience and not have an option to make our purchase carbon neutral. So we feel like this is becoming standard and ubiquitous. And the reason for that and why brands use us today, we are helping them tell their sustainability story in a way that drives customer loyalty and love. And that directly influences key metrics for them, like cart conversion and like repeat purchase rates, which then of course impacts their LTV of their consumers. And so many other incredible business benefits to this is really the value prop and the impact of brand C. From a brand perspective, what's like your sweet spot right now in terms of persona? Is it like the big established brands? Is it the disruptor GSC brands who are coming in and shaking up the market? Who's that like sweet spot for you? So our brands are, they vary, you know, far and wide. They come in all different shapes and sizes. I'd say we have some categorical hotspots or vertical hotspots like in fashion and apparel and CPG, as well as, you know, beauty and cosmetics, right? And even categories like baby and categories like outdoor, all of, you know, that's those are some of our sort of categorical hotspots. But again, EcoCard is very mass market. It's valuable for brands and retailers of all different shapes and sizes. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. From a messaging perspective, is that ever difficult? You know, trying to speak to those two like very different types of brands. Like I see cuts on there, then I also see Walmart. 
is that a totally different message or is that the same message that you're you're pushing to these brands? You know, the beautiful thing about what we're doing is that the message is the same because the value proposition is the same. And it's just incredibly clear that this type of solution in the space is needed and that we have a tool that helps them accomplish that in a very straightforward, easy to use and user-friendly way. And if they aren't using EcoCart, what are they using? First and foremost, a lot of the work that we do is education, right? We are creating a category. We are educating our potential partners on the importance of doing this work and also what this work means, right? It's quite complex under the hood. And not a lot of retailers and brands have the time or resources to fully get a grip on it, fully get a grasp on what all of this means. And so that's where we come in and help them, right? And so we're doing a lot of education. So back to your question, there's not a lot of work being done specifically in this vertical elsewhere, right? I mean, some brands, some retailers are purchasing offsets themselves, right? That's perhaps one element of this. The very sort of minority, frankly. And some folks, some retailers and brands have internal teams that are staffed up to specifically work on this, both in the measurement and the offsetting components, right? And so, however, again, that's also a minority. So, you know, I'd say the alternative to what we do really is nothing in this space. It's really just getting started with sustainability or not yet doing anything at all. What's the category going to be called? In the intro, I called you a sustainable commerce platform, but I kind of just made that one up. What is the actual category? That's quite apt. I'd say that's um, a pretty good way of describing it. We like to call ourselves the sustainability e-commerce layer, right? There's, there's multiple layers of e-commerce and there's the platform itself. There's all of the tech stack and tools. But then there's a necessary critical element to it, which is the sustainability layer. And that's really what we'd like to say we are creating yeah, and optimizing for our partners. From a marketing perspective, what's working right now? And, and what have you done to you know, rise above the noise and you know, connect with these brands and you know, achieve the type of growth that you've achieved? Yeah, a lot of our growth has come organically because we do a good job of telling that story in an authentic way that resonates, right? And so what you find tactically is that most of our brands and, and partners come to us organically. And when I say that, what I mean is directly through search and searching in search engines, as well as directly into things like a, a Shopify app store. And so that's critical because it shows the sheer demand. And all we try to do is help to accelerate that and amplify that and be in that place of intent. And so that's been our strategy in a lot of ways. And, you know, sure, we do a bit of sort of outbounding and, and sales work. But as in general rule of thumb, how we approach this is just being there at the point of intent and kind of helping spin that flywheel a little bit faster for all things organic that are happening. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised 17.5 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout that journey? Oh, wow. A lot. I hadn't actually raised traditional venture capital 
before EcoCart. And it's been a, a really interesting ride and journey, right? I think what a lot of people maybe don't realize is that I think, you know, it's really easy to assume that it is the right fit for every type of business. And it's just now that we're kind of in this post-2021 era, and a lot of companies are you know, shutting down and not able to raise their next round of capital, it's really interesting to sort of view how that can be for a market, right? And for us, I mean, well, again, we're creating a category, we're spinning that flywheel faster on something that's happening and becoming standard and ubiquitous, right? So for us, you know, the venture capital that we raised was critical to our growth, right? Because we're in a market that is quickly becoming big in a way that just hasn't happened or hasn't been the case in prior years. So it's just really interesting to sort of be in this market and looking in, around at the field and seeing that it really ultimately isn't the right fit for all different types of companies. And it's really important to understand the sort of do's and don'ts of the venture market. Yeah, it seems like going the venture route has become kind of glamorized over the last couple of years. Maybe that's dying down a little bit now, but that used to be a lot of the conversations I had with other founders too. You know, they'd be going the non-venture route, they'd have a company that's you know, making money, but they weren't being featured in TechCrunch. You know, no one was like celebrating them and giving them high fives. They were just you know, building their business. And it seems like a lot of those founders got kind of pulled into launching venture-backed startups. And I think a lot of them are struggling now a little bit and realizing that, yeah, maybe it is better to go the other route. So I think it just completely depends on the founder and the market and the product, of course. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting how cycles, market cycles will teach a lot of, a lot of lessons, right? And I think that it's kind of what we're seeing. You know, there's a really interesting quote, it just sort of resonates as we think about this topic. I'll probably butcher it, but it's something to the effect of when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. And in the absence of that, everyone seems to be in the right place and as normal. But again, when the tide goes out, you see things that are completely out of place. Let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself? Mm, that's a great question. It's probably similar to, I've been doing a lot of like physical training as of recent, like cardio and just trying to work out and you know exercise a lot more. And I think one of the things that I have realized during those times of enhanced stress on the body or even strain on the body is that it's all a mental game to get through that that set or that mile or whatever it may be. And I find that to be so similar and salient for building a business as well and like running a company because just like everything in life it is such a mental game and it's a game of mental fortitude and managing your emotions and staying right in the middle right not ever being not letting the highs overwhelm you not letting the lows overwhelm you right and i think that the you know i was, I was watching an interview recently that I, and, I, and i saw i forgot who it was some celebrity i believe was talking about this topic. And he said, you think you're on top of the world? You think you're, you know, the best in the world at, at that specific thing at the time? This too shall pass. If you think that, you know, you feel like you want to quit and it's the worst, worst thing in the world at the time, this too shall pass. 
And so I just find that to be such an important element to running a business because it's critical to stay Zen-like, right? And not let your emotions take over and govern so much. So that's what I would say. You know, I recently got into ultra running in the last year or so. I just did my first 50 plus mile race. And I was talking to some friends about it. They're like, dude, why are you doing this stuff? Like, this is like insane. And I was trying to explain that to them, how you just articulated it, that like, I'm building these mental models in my personal life. And then those transfer over to my business life. And I do see you know, a crossover with so many things that you have to go through. Or like, you know, when I did this 50 mile race, like the things that I had to work through in my head, you know, like the doubts, like, you know, the, the negative conversations, like the desire just like, you know, quit sometimes, like you have to just like, push through that and talk yourself through that and put yourself through that. And I think that's you know, exactly what you're doing in the business world as well. So I'm a huge fan of that crossover and that idea of, you know, building that mindset in your personal life completely transfers over into your business life as well. Agreed. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, as I'm sure it's critical to stay, you know, balanced mentally as you're running an ultra marathon, it's likewise critical to stay balanced as you're running a business. Yep. Totally agree. All right, final question now. We're almost up on time. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building? Yeah, we're in a really fortunate position to be leading a movement. And I think that movement for us is helping the world understand that commerce can be a force for good. And that, you know, manifests for us as consumers being able to take climate action with every purchase they make. And again, I, I feel strongly that war building is becoming ubiquitous and standard in the e-commerce landscape. And that looking forward five years, we won't be able to go through a checkout experience and not have an option to make our purchases carbon neutral. So thinking about it in that context and fashion, it's a really incredible time to be doing what we're doing, leading this movement. I like to say we're in this golden era between sustainability being a sort of nice to have solution to an absolutely must have. And we're kind of in this in this mode in between those right now. And it's and it's it's such a great, such a great place to be to be leading this movement. Amazing. I love the vision. I love the approach that you're taking. And this has been a, a really fun conversation. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if any founders listening in just want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this vision, where should they go? Oh wow. Yeah. Let's see. I'm pretty active, I would say, on on LinkedIn. And so that's probably the best place to find me. I'm not so much active on Twitter other than being just a consumer there. So I'm more active on, on LinkedIn. Amazing. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you so much, Brett. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 